Welcome to the Woman-Owned, Women-Operated Podcast, where we speak with female founders in the trenches of building a business. I'm Ronnie Wise, founder and CEO of Ronnie Wise Consulting. Through this podcast, I hope to share stories, struggles, and successes to inspire you to pursue your passions and support women-owned businesses. I took a little hiatus from the podcast, busy with having a baby and living through a pandemic and moving. But like so many of you, I'm finally feeling back to business. I'm excited to share a conversation I had back in 2019 with Casey Drogi in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, about the importance of art diversity and culture in her city. At the end of the episode, I'll provide an update from Casey on how she navigated her company through the pandemic and where she is today. I hope you find Casey's story and perspective as interesting and inspiring as I do. Today I'm in Lawrenceville, one of the largest neighborhoods in Pittsburgh that has become a collection of artsy and funky people, small businesses and community spaces. I'm meeting with Casey Drogi Cultural Productions in this very cool space I'm sitting in right now called Small Mall. It's an arts marketplace here in Lawrenceville. Casey is dedicated to building a stronger arts community in Pittsburgh, just one of the reasons why I wanted to interview her today. In my line of work, I experience so many talented artists who struggle to make a living, a circumstance that isn't necessarily new for artists, but with technology and the internet connecting people from around the world, I feel like there is a new potential for artists both online and in their local communities, unlike ever before. So I look forward to learning from Casey exactly how she helps artists make a living doing what they love, combat the unique challenges facing artists, and how she sees the future of art evolving in its role in local communities. Casey, thank you so much for meeting with me today. Thank you. (laughs) So I'd love to start our conversation talking about you and your background. How has art influenced your life and why does it play such an important role in it today? I always tell people that I was raised by artists and Mm. I think that's what kind of led me to this place because growing up it was just part of my daily life. So I had three parents and they were all self-employed artists and I think watching their successes and struggles really informed me in the way that I built my own life as an artist, but definitely in the way that I build my business now. Mm. I know that things have changed since their prime time a few decades ago, but I think a lot of the the problems that we face today are things that artists of many generations have encountered. Yeah, and what are some of the things that you've seen have changed? Yeah, of course, I think there are things like the cost of living mm. in most cities is changing. Healthcare certainly is a huge factor that's, that's changing mm. quite a bit. And I think for the first generation of artists who live with the internet so we're suddenly open to lots of new resources and have the capability of sharing info and selling work in Mm -hmm. new ways but we're also competing with new forms of entertainment and culture that have never existed and we're competing with very short attention spans from the public (laughs) yeah so i imagine the stress sort of that goes along with that is is unparalleled, would you say, compared to what it used to be like? I would imagine. Yeah. (laughs) But I might also be dramatic, I'm not sure. (laughs) Either way, I I can see it. I mean, I feel like even in the non-art world, it's added an element of of stress and extra complication of understanding technology as much as it is, you know, how to use it and the best ways to use it. So what inspired you to start your production company? And is this the first business you've started in your career? 
It's actually not the first business I've started. Okay. Even as a teenager, I was making and selling clothing. Mm. And then in my um, 20s, I had a, a clothing company for a while where I focused on creating clothing and accessories for cyclists, particularly for women and brightly colored things that you wouldn't normally find. But yeah, I think... I, I naturally have always just tried to figure out how to make money from my skills. So <laughs> this kind of grew out of my own artistic practice really organically. And a lot of my own studio work was very experiential. I was creating a lot of events that involved the community. And part of that process was selling tickets to those events. And, you know, I was basically inviting the public to engage financially as well as their time and their energy. So it made sense to start to build that into something that could not only support me, but support all of the people that I was working with. And it seems like in its own way, it's sort of evolved as you evolved into yeah. the space. And I'm curious, as an artist yourself, while running several small businesses and doing many things, I would imagine, does your day sort of include all the business side of things and the art? Mm. And it's kind of blending together. Do you find that that conflicts with your artistic life or do you feel like it is flowing in a natural way? I think it depends. I go through different periods throughout the year. So I look at the business as a part of my artistic practice. Mm -hmm. So even thinking about all of the interactions that I have with different people, I think about that as my practice. So before when I was making work without the guise of any sort of business context. <laughs> I was very focused on relational aesthetics and like thinking about how people would engage with me in different ways. So I guess there aren't clear boundaries sometimes. Yeah. And, and that makes it a little easier to sort of move back and forth between business oriented things versus sort of like creatively driven tasks. Yeah. I've worked in so many different arts organizations mm -hmm. and I think what I have experienced in all of them is just extreme burnout mm. and I am doing everything I can here to avoid that. Yeah. I know I feel it sometimes even because I am just pushing myself to make this business go, go, go. Mm -hmm. But I'm working with everybody on our team to really try to make sure that we're planning far in advance, that we're not taking on too much, and that we're being really cognizant of just how many hours we have in the day here. And, <laughs> and sleeping. And sleeping, <laughs> yeah. right. And it helps that currently it's pretty much all women, and we're all, um, I think, very sensitive to each other's needs mm -hmm. and are just trying to create a really supportive environment here. And, and so tell me specifically about, you know, the Pittsburgh arts community and the challenges facing artists here. So Pittsburgh, I think, is unique in some ways. And then it's very parallel to a lot of smaller and mid-sized cities mm -hmm. where we have a very sort of skeletal arts market, not a lot of traditional collectors or people who buy art. But we have wonderful museums. We have a pretty strong foundation community here who are doing individual artist grants and also organizational grants. And we have this mix of historically industrial working class city that's now transitioning to this tech hub and healthcare hub. I think there's always been a strong arts community, at least in my own lifetime. Mm -hmm. Lots of artists have found that 
because it was a cheaper city to live in, they could start their own projects. Lots of artists run spaces over the years that come and go. And generally sort of an acceptance of the arts as part of culture, but also some resistance to the arts as a potential sort of leisure or elitist activity. Mm. So it's kind of a push and pull in terms of the general population. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, so I think today there's a really strong community where we have a lot of artist-run spaces. We have amazing institutions. Mm -hmm. We don't really have a middle layer for the visual arts community, not a lot of mid-sized organizations. And I think what we see in the arts community is that artists reach a point in their careers where if they're not here for a teaching job or something that's keeping them around, they run out of opportunities and mm. they choose to leave and go to another city. Interesting. And now that our cost of living is rising very quickly, I think that's happening more and more because mm. the draw of living affordably is just disappearing. Yeah. And I imagine like you were saying earlier that being an artist, you sometimes need to have a lower cost of living because it's harder to, to make money. So I feel like it's 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 a full circle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We've had a huge influx of people coming from Chicago and from New York and mm -hmm. the Bay Area, and they still find it really affordable. <laughs> but for the people who have stayed here for many years, it's becoming unaffordable. Right. So. <laughs> and this is is this for profit? That this is for profit. Oh, wow. Yeah. That you're, it's almost like a for profit mission based. It is. You know? yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. The, the goal with CDCP is that we are using grant money to launch for the first three years mm -hmm. and then we'll be operating on our own revenue streams. Amazing. So we're building up a revenue stream with our small mall space, with art sales through that, through our programming where we're selling tickets and things, mm -hmm. and then mostly through our consulting jobs where we're selling artwork to bigger development projects, office rehab projects, things like that, yeah. where we can actually get paid really well as consultants and sell artwork for local artists. Right, and I saw on, online, which I thought was super interesting, is that you actually purchase the art from the artist. You're not a middleman for you know these artists. You're really able to give them exactly what they earn for their artwork. So how, how did you get inspired to do it that way and how yeah. has that worked for you? With our consulting clients, we try to have them hire us as consultants so that we can just pay the artist for the artwork directly mm -hmm. and not have to take a commission. And we argue to our clients that that's the best way for us to source the perfect artwork for their projects mm -hmm. because we're not commission-based then. We're not trying to sell them the highest priced item or something like that. You know, we can really instead focus on making the artist happy with getting a full sale and mm -hmm. finding the right work for their specific project. And most of our clients are on board with that. In some scenarios, we do a combination where we might take a commission and we have a smaller consulting fee or something okay. like that. But we're trying to move away from the older model, which yeah. is very commission-based. So what is the resistance when people say they don't want to do it your way? What's their reason? I think for some clients, it's they want to see what we're capable of first. Mm. So they're not sure that they're willing to pay for a full consulting job up front, and they mm. may be willing to do something on smaller levels.
It's always been easy for me to publish my work on behalf of clients, but when it's publishing work for myself or my business, like this podcast, I find it extremely challenging. How the public perceives it feels so personal. So of course you face feeling rejected and judged, especially on social media where there's just so much access to your work and what you're doing. So for artists, I imagine they face this every day when they decide to sell their artwork because I imagine for them, their art is extremely personal and it's something, a reflection of, of who they are. So do they talk to you about this challenge and what sort of gives them the courage to proceed, maybe if they're in, first starting out? I think for all artists, there's this element of vulnerability uh, when you start to open your work up to the public in any way, <laughs> whether it's putting something out for a show or, or trying to sell it. So with our retail concept with Small Mall, we, encourage artists to think about creating affordable, additional versions of their work that might be more accessible to the general public. So even though someone might be a painter or a photographer or a sculptor, and they may have a main body of work that they're focused on, we often try to sit with them and just think about what they could do that might be just really easy to connect with. So if someone walks in off the street and they may not know a lot about art, what are they gonna be attracted to? What's gonna be affordable? What has potential to just easily live with them in their homes on a daily basis? So yeah. it helps, I think, for a lot of artists to think about it in that way because they can pull themselves out of the work a little bit more and and they can start to potentially have multiple bodies of work. So there may be something that's more personal, more a difficult subject matter, mm. and then things that might be more marketable. Yeah, and it was interesting when I was Googling ahead of this and, and sort of looking and seeing what people are searching for in regards to selling their art. Yeah. The number one thing that came up actually was, is my work good enough to sell? You know, so how would you answer that question if someone came to you and said, is it good enough? It's just so subjective. I think we spend a lot of time talking about audiences, right? And this physical store space is trying to reach a specific audience, the audience of this neighborhood, the people who come to this area to shop. Those are specific demographics. Mm. So when thinking about that particular group, then we can narrow it down a little bit and start to imagine what they might actually be interested in buying. Mm -hmm. But there are endless groups of people out there. So yeah. it may be that your work is fantastic for one particular venue and not for another. Um, yeah. And you just need to do a little research and find like-minded artists and peers and figure out where they're showing and selling and, yeah. and get there. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And are millennials starting to collect, having personal collections of art? Or do you feel that the market still leans a bit older? It's funny that you brought that up. Someone just emailed me uh, an article this morning about how millennials are buying art, but as more of a financial investment, and they're mm. much quicker to liquidate their collections. Mm. So while older generations of collectors have really been focused on buying for their tastes, right, and building up collections that are somehow emotionally significant to them, that younger generations are not doing that, that it's really about investment instead. So interesting. Yeah, and I think that that may be true. We've also seen some other studies that say that millennials tend to invest 
in fewer objects and sort of want to live more experientially based lives. So they're focused on what they can do with their time instead of how much stuff they can acquire. So we try to address that a little bit in terms of offering events and experiences, but we're also thinking about art and design and functionality and incorporating artists work into your daily life so whether it's a wearable thing or a mug that you're using or yeah. a calendar or something <laughs> that may not be a permanent fixture it can be temporal and experienced and disappear yeah that's so interesting to pitch it that way and and if you were going to tell a young person maybe just starting out how would you tell them to invest in art why would you tell them to invest in art i think the thing that's important is figuring out what your priorities are and if you are invested in the idea of locally made or the idea of individuals over corporations then i would say think about where you put your money so a lot of young people are potentially going to go outfit their apartments with things from Target or Urban Outfitters mm -hmm. or Anthropology yeah. <laughs> and instead of spending your money there think about utilizing that to support someone who lives within your community or someone that you're following on Instagram that you really like or mm -hmm. someone you found on Etsy who is gonna make their livelihood from that sale. I'm curious how important is it that communities support local artists now that sites like Etsy connect buyers to artists around the world you know you do a lot of work with the local community. So yeah. you, do you think that that is a part that we should be thinking when we're buying art? Is, is it made around here? I think we started that way just because it's a little easier to measure our impact that way. Mm -hmm. And we felt like there was just amazing talent here that often goes unseen or untalked about. So it's great to start with what's nearby. And then you're also not dealing with things like shipping. And, <laughs> which is um, expensive for which our is work. Expensive, exactly. We're just kind of trying to simplify as much as possible. Mm. We will, for certain projects, buy from artists nationally or deal with someone who doesn't live locally. Mm. But for a lot of our projects, we are just trying to connect the local population with local artists. I love that. Yeah. What options exist to sell their work as an artist? Do they need to work with someone like you? Or do you think that it, they can still do it on their own successfully? A lot of artists are moving away from the model of gallery representation, mm -hmm. which has been the sort of strongest traditional way to sell your work. I think because with so many opportunities to sell online, it's just a little less relevant. And then you're not losing half of your sale to a commission. A lot of Artists also live in places where there aren't commercial galleries to do that work for them. For instance, in Pittsburgh, suppose we have about maybe three commercial galleries that do actually represent artists and try to do sales for them. Mm -hmm. But it's limited in terms of the style of work that they're selling and the kinds of buyers that they have. So instead, a lot of people will resort to Etsy or some online version of selling their work or they just decide that they're not going to make money selling their work mm -hmm. and instead they're going to build up revenue in some other way, whether it is the occasional grant or a daily job that they do or using their skills uh, on a more commercial level if they're an illustrator or a graphic designer or something like mm -hmm. that. And do you find that people who are saying, I'm going to go on Etsy and just sell my artwork, do you see 
them being very successful doing that strategy? Or do you think that it needs to be sort of a combination of a lot of things to, to really be able to sell a lot? I think it depends. I would say probably 10 years ago, it was significantly easier to start off online doing mm -hmm. that. But it's very a crowded marketplace now, totally. and it's hard to launch yourself in that. So, I mean, some folks have had success launching themselves on Instagram instead or something along those lines, or they just do like the physical fairs, art fairs that are happening mm -hmm. around their areas to sort of build up a client base. But I think it depends also on the media. Mm -hmm. Ceramic artists who are making really functional work tend to have an easier time or jewelers tend to have an easier time selling their work online versus maybe someone who's making photos or paintings or something like that. And so how does social media and the internet help or hurt the local arts economy? Do you see any trends that are happening that you are happy or maybe not happy about? I think there are certainly really strong aesthetic trends that happen and we see them pop up through social media immediately. And then you start to see it trickle into some of the work that artists are showing. So I think in some ways it can be really helpful if you're an artist who's creating images or objects that potentially have a market value and you're trying to compete with someone who might go spend that money at Urban Outfitters and instead you're creating something that has an aesthetic that could parallel or be more powerful than, then you could really benefit from that. But if you're not really interested in making something that's about a trend or that's just really about your personal vision, then sometimes it's a, it will take a little bit longer to convince an audience to buy in. I think it depends on who you're working for, who's your audience, who are you trying to connect with, and how they use trend-setting things on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Throughout the country, there are retail locations like your shop, Small Mall, there are art cooperatives that I see sort of popping up everywhere. They're all selling local artists' work. How important is traditional brick-and-mortar or retail stores to the successes of artists? Does the role of a retail location, a physical store someone can come in, or a gallery that someone can come in, is that a huge part of the success of an artist? I don't know that it's a huge part of the success of mm. an artist. I think that having a brick and mortar store or a gallery as an opportunity to figure out how to show your work to the public is, is pretty critical. Mm. So understanding how do you frame something or how do you label it and having a moment where you can be in the room with people that you don't know <laughs> and hear them respond to your work, that kind of thing is, is really critical. Mm. And I think for a lot of artists, they're trying to have exhibitions, they're trying to participate in cooperatives and other sort of events to get those experiences and to further grow their work. But I think in Pittsburgh and a lot of smaller mid-sized cities, those spaces are not yet presenting the financial gain for those artists. It's mm. pretty hard for artists to sell work still in those kinds of settings uh, because the populations are not ready to buy artwork in that way, right? Mm. So we're trying to get them ready for that. <laughs> and in an ideal world, they would present that as not only an opportunity to learn how to present your work, but also to start to actually build up a revenue stream too. Mm. And I think once we get to that point, they'll be a huge part of an artist's growth. But for now, it's just one piece of the puzzle.
There are so many industries where you can see a very clear lack of diversity. Do you feel female and minority artists face unique challenges either internally or externally as they work to make a living from their art? Yes, I think it is pretty clearly documented mm -hmm. that artists of color and female artists are struggling to have the same opportunities as their white male peers. Why do you feel that happens? Is it something where the buyers aren't responding or is it the artists aren't able to get their work into those places where the public can find them? What would you say is the biggest challenge? I think we're still in a place where the people at the top with the most power are selecting people who look like them. Mm. And I even see it with our consulting clients sometimes where if we're buying for someone uh, for their office and we present them with several options of artwork they may have no idea who has created this work but they're responding to an aesthetic that mirrors their own and often that aesthetic is created by someone who looks like them too mm. so it's like an instinctual thing that's just happening mm. and unless the people who have power to make changes actually actively think about it it doesn't happen yeah. we're certainly seeing the change of tides in a lot of the people taking on curatorial positions and directorships and things like that and a lot of people are talking about what changes need to happen. And mm -hmm. we're seeing some of it slowly. <laughs> slowly working its way. Yeah. And have you directly experienced a moment where you had to kind of say, this isn't right, and I really want you to consider this because this is different from what you might be used to? Yes. In terms of when we're, we're buying work for a client or we're putting together a lineup of artists for a project, we actively try to seek out a really diverse group of artists and we're thinking about diversity in terms of age, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. We're really trying to think about it in all terms. And so a lot of our clients, once we bring it up, are really willing to listen and try to get on board with that, while also trying to make sure that we're acknowledging their tastes and their needs. But we've also experienced as a group of women running an arts organization, seeking funding and seeking our own support. We've definitely had those moments where we have had the door shut on us because of who we are. And, wow. and does it make you angry? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have had moments where I've just wanted to scream and shout in the middle of a meeting with a funder or someone who has some resource that I need. And it's obvious that they're not taking me seriously because of my age or my gender. And there's not a lot I can do except talk about it with other people and say, hey, this is my experience. And it was terrible. <laughs> and I hope someone else will have a better experience. Right, right. Yeah. And maybe when you make people aware of that this is happening, yeah, someone in the room might say, hey, that's not right, if yeah. you can't say it. And I think that might be the, the answer is just sharing it. And yeah. I think that's, that's so important. Right, right. So how do you encourage a community to support a diverse community of artists? You know, if you've got a client, obviously, that has a big building and people are moving into it and they need art, how do you get the, the people moving in to say, you know what, I don't want to live in a place where it's one tone or one note, it's diverse, and I feel like I'm surrounded by things of different backgrounds? I think the biggest thing that we do is for our events and anytime we're pulling our audience together, we are 
actively trying to build a really diverse audience as well. And I think when you can get a bunch of different perspectives into one room, it makes people aware of the lack of diversity in their daily lives. And everyone, I think, has that, right? We all have the tendency to go into our small groups. So when you have a room full of people that you would never encounter otherwise, it just starts to make you think about it a little bit more often. We try to deal with the problem in that way, where we're just bringing a lot of different people together to engage in the arts in some way. Mm -hmm. And then at other points, yeah, we're just actively talking about how great it is to support a wide group yeah. of artists. <laughs> Which is also just needs to be said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I read on your website in 2017, you paid a total of $120,000 to 75 local artists. I saw when I walked in, that number is actually much higher now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's incredible. It seems like you are in a position where artists will begin if they're not already relying on you and your abilities to be successful. Do you experience any self-doubt or pressures to be successful because you're representing so many people who could potentially be successful because of you? I feel like I have one shot to make this business work. And I think it has great potential to support not only people in Pittsburgh, but to potentially uh, become a model for some other cities as well. So yeah, I feel some pressure to make that happen. But I also realize that I am just one person and my own life obstacles may prevent me from being able to make this thing as big as I possibly can imagine. I'm going to give it my best go. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but it means something to you. It does. And I, I think as entrepreneurs, we always feel that sacrifice of yeah. how much are we willing to give to make this work? But at the same time, your self-care and who you are as a person is as important as this business. So do you feel that you have clear you know, measures of success to say, I know if I did this, you know, we made it? Or do you still have this kind of idea of it could go anywhere and you just want to see and grow what you can do? I definitely have clear measures of success in terms of us getting to a place where we are sustaining on our own revenue streams. That's the first big goal for us. Mm -hmm. And once we're at that place where we're no longer in need of grant support and we're really building up our own revenue, then that's a sign that the public in Pittsburgh has bought in enough because that revenue is going to be coming from them. <laughs> so that's a huge marker for us, right? That suddenly there are enough people that are buying artwork or hiring us or hiring artists through us that we're making a living. Mm -hmm. And then ideally, yeah, we're gonna take this information and we're either gonna help grow a network across the country or just help other organizations in small and mid-sized cities figure out ways to make money without a traditional arts market. So that would be the next big goal. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And do you have personal goals that you think could go along with this? Yeah, then... absolutely. I mean, I love Pittsburgh, but I also think that it can be a small bubble. So. I would love to be working in a couple of different cities and always growing my network of other artists and arts organizations to make sure that I'm just connected to a lot of ideas and a lot of different people. So hopefully down the line, I'll be able to move through different cities and constantly be experiencing new art and new people and love building that. my business while I do it. <laughs> it's like the, the ultimate dream, I yes. feel like. Especially the travel part, I'm sure it would yeah. just, yeah. you just, the cultures would just keep growing and the different types of people that you get to work with. Yes. Yeah. 
And so how would you tell an artist whether they're successful or not? I know they're probably not looking at you, they're looking at themselves and they're deciding that, but I think in a way, there's gonna be moments where you can't sell someone's art and it's just not moving. So how do you have that conversation with someone, yeah. especially as an artist, you know what it feels like to have that rejection here and there. Absolutely. I think the key thing is just continuing to make your work. And no matter what, we're gonna all go through phases where we're not making any money from our artwork and your creative practice is basically taking up all your time and your money and you're not getting a lot out of it. But I think as long as you're continuing to use it to feed yourself in some way, then that's success. I recently interviewed all these women artists in their 70s and 80s and mm -hmm. none of them have made it to a place where they are making a lot of money or continually selling their work but they have had an artistic practice for decades and decades and it's just a matter of really serving this need for themselves they just want to make their art and they relish the opportunities that they have to show it and to connect with other people and sell it potentially but it's just the continuation of having this practice yeah that's incredible. And, and if someone wanted to listen to those or hear those interviews or read about them, where would they find them? Well, right now, they're just my personal oh, <laughs> interviews, yeah. but I did use them to create a body of my work recently. So that Amazing. work is up in Pittsburgh right now. And I'm hoping right now to be able to sort of build those interviews into some longer form projects for CDCP. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. I yeah. would definitely follow that. Well, Casey, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. I hope this interview gives hope to artists who may be struggling but need a little bit of a push and inspiring a new wave of art collectors. I definitely feel like I'm going to look at art in a different way when I'm choosing to decorate my home or thinking about who made this and, and how can I be making an impact just by loving a piece of art. Right. Right. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. An update on Casey and her business. Things changed quite a bit during the pandemic. She had to cancel all in-person programming and switch to virtual when possible. Almost all of her consulting work was canceled or put on hold. Fortunately, she was able to keep her small mall store and project space operating on a very baseline level, but it took a lot to maintain a safe space for staff and visitors. They closed their project spaces past March and she ended up selling her concept store, Small Mall, to new owners in May. Casey says they are fantastic folks who will keep the staff on board and continue the legacy she and her team created. So her company, CDCP, will continue to offer virtual programming this year, and she's also picking back up with her consulting efforts, helping businesses buy art from regional talent or incorporate artists into their projects. Thank you for listening to the Woman-Owned, Woman-Operated podcast. Learn more about Casey and her business at caseydrogi.com. A special thank you to Casey Drogi for sharing her story with us, John Lundman for our beautiful music, my incredible mother who started her own business and inspired me to start mine, Debbie Bleacher for editing this episode, and everyone who joins us in supporting women-owned businesses in their communities. Subscribe to our podcast to hear more stories like this one. And remember, when women support women, incredible things happen.